In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Roger, your host of Bloom and Doom. You know, Fox News host Laura Ingram is saying that the crime wave is coming to a city near you. And very soon. Now, we've seen how the radical left embraces violence, riots, looting, and if you don't bend to their agenda, they'll come after you. The riots of 2019 and 2020 were terrorist activities. Um, They were basically all terrorist activities, and yet the left still refuses to recognize that. And they're going to continue to get worse. Um, And as, as they realize more and more that there's still those of us who refuse to bend to their tyrannical agenda, I'm thinking that they're going to ramp things up a bit. You know, cities across America are seeing shootings like never before. And all of this is happening amid the call for gun reform. So I have to ask myself, is that a coincidence or is it planned that way? Um, Crime in Portland, Oregon the murder rate is up 800%. And yes, you heard that right, 800%. Minneapolis is up 56%. Washington, D.C. is up 35%. It's continuing to rise in every city. What does all this have in common? If you've been following the news, you you should know they're all ran by left-wing Democrats. The radical defund the police crowd who took away the police power. So what else would we expect in those cities other than a crime rate increase? And we're seeing across the news the cries about another fuel shortage across the nation. Uh, We see the writing on the wall with this one. My friends, this is another farce. They will, cre- they will keep creating these type problems because every time they do this, they strip away a little more of your humanity and your ability 
to control your own life. And they're always peddling something. You know, just recently, the National Archives Task Force on Racism claims that the rotunda of the Capitol is structurally racist. I don't even know what that is. How do we get structural racism? How far are we going to let this go? This has become pathetic when we now consider a building to be structurally racist. They want to call mothers birthing people. They want to change Father's Day to Special Person's Day. I mean, for God's sake, we can't even have Aunt Jemima on a box of pancakes anymore. Now we're going to have to be considering structurally racist buildings. If we don't stop this now, this is going to continue to spiral out of control. I want to go one further. In Loudoun County, Virginia, parents were at a school board meeting protesting critical race theory, and they were arrested. But BLM can go out and burn down cities and burn police cars, and they're not arrested. And if they are arrested, well, hey, our vice president will come out and raise money to help bail them out. I, I, I don't get it. I just don't get it. Uh, and the U.S. Department of Homeland Security is saying that America is facing its biggest migrant surge in 20 years. The Mexican president is blaming the surge of migrants at the border on the Biden administration. Well, duh, yeah. I mean, that comes as no surprise to me. Biden basically promised to make it easy on immigrants, and he pretty much said that the border was an open door. I mean, he literally said it was an open door for immigrants. He said tens and thousands. So what else would we expect? Well, I'll tell you what we can expect. We can expect crime to continue to rise. We can expect the cartel to infiltrate America and bring its drugs across the border. And we can expect the Biden administration to do nothing about it. You know, I honestly believe that they want all of these illegal immigrants in here. It goes hand in hand with those major changes that they're wanting to make on voting laws. I mean, if they make it easy to vote without an ID, then, hey, all of these illegal immigrants could vote, right? Who would know the difference? Maybe they're shoring up that 2024 election. Yeah, I think so. So let's get on to being prepared, having a plan. Yes, it is important. Uh, Just read an article today before doing this podcast. That Silicon Valley entrepreneur Julie Fredrickson remembers clearly the moment that she decided to become a prepper. A prepper being somebody who prepares for the worst-case scenario. It was in late October 2012 when Hurricane Sandy had just hit New York. And Julie goes to state that there was a large, bright flash, and then the main that was the main power plant going out, the plant that powered all of lower Manhattan, offline. She said there was this bright, otherworldly, eerie green glow, and then everything just went black. 
She says she was left scrabbling in the dark in her high-rise New York apartment, feeling cut off and terrorized. She continued to say that I realized I wasn't prepared for even the very basic things. I didn't have enough water. I didn't have a radio to listen to for emergency broadcasts, and I never want to experience that again. Well, you know, these days Julie is much better off and set up. When the COVID pandemic hit, she knew exactly what to do, and that was decamp, get out of New York City. And she fled New York City to her home state of Colorado. And uh, she has now a go bag permanently packed with emergency supplies. And she and her husband are even considering building a bunker or bug out house. Um, but you know, she doesn't fit. She doesn't fit the image. Being a 30 year old woman, she hardly fits the widely held stereotype of a prepper, uh, a person who has an escape route, medical supplies, a few weeks worth of food, or, or even a chemically insulated, well-stocked and isolated bunker out in the middle of nowhere. No, but the stereotype image of preppers that is commonly held is slowly starting to fade away. Uh, more people are starting to take notice and to step up their game. For years, if you were a prepper, you were a lunatic hiding in a basement, wearing a tin hat, stocking up on guns and ammo. But not anymore. Preppers are showing up pretty much in all walks of life. And that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. You see, as we see more people wake up and start to prepare, we begin to build a very beneficial network or backbone, if you will. The more people who lose the apathy, which is the lack of concern for a matter, then the less panic that we're going to see when events go down. We want more people to wake up. And that's why I'm doing this podcast. That's why most all the preppers are doing their podcasts. They want, to be, they want people to wake up and see that we are facing a lot of potential disasters. That apathy thing, I want to go over that real quick. I did that in a podcast before, but I want to go over it again. See, apathy leads to panic when you realize that you're not prepared. And as I said, we discussed this once before, but I'm going to lay it out again. Phase one, or five phases you're going to go through. Phase one is apathy, which leads to the lack of preparation. That's not having any concern. You don't think it's going to happen. You're not worried about a power grid attack. The United States is just peachy, hunky-dory, and everything's going to be fine. But when something does happen, you'll go into phase two, which is realization. And which when you realize that this thing is real and it's going down and it's going to get worse. And then at this point, it all begins to set in hard. You move to phase three. That's fear. This is when you begin to realize you know that you will not get the supplies that you need. That you've waited too late. You are shit out of luck and you're going to suffer for it. That moves you to step four, panic. At this point, you begin to panic trying to figure out what you're going to do. And... It's at this stage that it's too late and you know it and that panic 
leads to chaos, which is phase five. Chaos is when you realize that your neighbor across the street has food, he has gasoline, he has supplies, and you decide that you're going to go over there and get it one way or another. It's usually at this stage when someone dies. And considering that you would be the person not prepared, it very well may be you that dies because I bet you that guy across the street is prepared. He has been able to, he has went over his plans. He has a defense in place and he will defend his family and his safe place. So if you're one of those persons that's in that apathy phase right now, if you're listening to this and you, you're not preparing and you're not worried about it, you're, you have apathy. If you're in that apathy phase right now, if you don't have a concern or you think it's all a bunch of hogwash, you will be this guy who goes through all five of these stages. You will be the guy who eventually dies. Okay? Think about that. Because the big hack is coming. And that's what I want to talk about tonight, the big hack. Sabu Hector Monsegur, the world's most notorious hacker, says that America is in big trouble. Sabu is now an informant for the FBI, but this was after he was arrested for hacking the FBI several years back. Now he tells us that we should be very concerned because we don't have enough cyber techs to avoid a major hack on infrastructure. We're simply not prepared. Sabu says that we will continue to see these attacks and they'll continue to get worse. Now remember, this guy worked in, with hackers. He knows how they perform and he knows that they're going to get worse. They're not going to just stop with the pipeline and the meatpacking facilities. That was a test run. Now they're going to come after the power grid. And coincidentally, the United States just did uh, or, or are setting up to do training on a potential grid down scenario. Hmm. Are they getting ready or are they planning on doing another pandemic type thing? But anyway, back to the power hack. Uh, we're simply not prepared. Uh, so we're wondering, when will the big one come? The power grid. Now look, people, we can't, we can't keep the spam callers from the constant barrage of phone calls about your car's extended warranty or about the old social security scam or the health benefits scam. So how do we pretend that we'll be able to avoid a major hack on our power grid, or on our distribution systems across America. How can we pretend that we can prevent that? We can't. And that's the simple answer. We just cannot prevent it. And this is a very, very real concern. Now, everything we have is powered by a computer system, and it's easily accessible online. 
And that leaves us wide open to the inevitable hack on a power grid or distribution system of some type. If an attack takes place on our power grid, what are we going to be looking at? That's the question we want to ask. Well, first and foremost, we're going to have all the emergency medical equipment across America, or across the affected area at least. That's going to go down. So we're going to have problems right off the start. Okay, sure, there are generators at the hospitals that they can use, but what about the millions of Americans at home? I've got a father here that's on an oxygen machine. What will people like him do? Well, they have two answers. It's either go to the nearest hospital so they can get oxygen or they die. What do you think they're going to do? They're going to go to the hospital. So if they visit the hospital, then all of a sudden the hospitals are inundated with people, and that causes another problem. Emergency accidents that are taking place during this time will have less attention because the staff will be covered up trying to handle the already existing problems of people flooding into the hospital. So if, if power is down, let's consider what happens when those generators run out of fuel. You can only keep so much fuel on hand. So we can't pump fuel because there's no power. Now things begin to compound here when fuel becomes scarce. People are trying to get fuel. Civil unrest begins to pop up. The police can't respond to a lot of those civil unrest calls because uh, they have very little fuel, so they're having to handle the life-threatening matters at hand. It's going to become every man for himself at that point. You see, the problem here is most people tend to think that the old government is going to come jump in and fix this problem. No, that's not going to happen. That, my friend, is where you're wrong. Look at the slow response times in Hurricane Katrina, or all the hurricanes for that matter, that we've had. Horrible response. Lack of resources, and again, there is no power, which complicates the matters even worse. And I don't think there's an average American that understands the scope of such a disaster, and it will be a disaster. A power grid loss would be even worse than any of the hurricanes that we've experienced, and it would last for weeks or possibly even months. Uh... Stores would begin to be emptied out within 12 to 24 hours. And nothing else is going to be on the way because these trucks need fuel and we can't pump fuel. So supplies are going to be gone within 12 to 24 hours. Within 24 to 48 hours, society will begin to experience a total breakdown. Now, once we reach the 24 to 48-hour range, it's going to be very dangerous outside. You better have a safe place at this point because getting outside could be a death sentence. Beyond 48 hours, we will be headed toward becoming a third world country. No, we would be a worse than a third world country. At this, at this point, we would be worse. 
And yes, this will take place in the first 72 hours. After that 72-hour mark, it will be very, very, very bad times. That's when the death toll is going to start picking up. The death toll began to rise rapidly at this point as resources run completely out. People are starving. People are killing each other. Uh, the people who couldn't make it to the hospitals are dying because they don't have the medical equipment. The death toll will run in the tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, within the first week. And the death toll will start reaching into the millions as the month starts to close out. And it's estimated that in a massive power grid failure like this, 90% of the population will be dead within 60 days. And that is alarming, 90% of the population. We talked about this a little bit before in the last podcast. Now, I know people are going to say, no, there's no way, there's no way, that number can't be that high, there's no way, we'll get help. Nearly every expert has agreed and predicted the same outcome, that 90% would be dead in the first 60 days. Or at least, if we do have some help, Give ourselves a six-month period. I don't think if it lasts more than six months, we're going to see a huge die-off of the population. And, and because 90% of Americans have no clue how to obtain food during an emergency, and that's the whole point of this podcast, they have no clue how to bug out or what tools to have. If you drop them off in the wilderness, which would be the safest place at that point, they will die. Now, I don't talk about this to peddle fear or to sell products. I talk about this because a vast majority of these deaths can be avoided by simply knowing what to do. Okay, the first thing people say is, well, I have a generator. Okay, that's great. That generator is going to help you for a while. It'll run you through the first 12 to 24, maybe up to 48 hours, if you have enough fuel stored back. But what do you do when you run out of fuel? How do you power that generator then? Do you know how to build a gasifier? Most people have no idea what that is. And we'll do a podcast specifically on that topic later on, but for now, I want to go over just a short description. A gasifier is a series of metal chambers. One chamber holds a fuel source, like wood chips or paper or something of that nature. Something solid. You want something solid, though. It holds the, one chamber holds the fuel, while a second chamber that is below that is used for a fire. That fire in the lower chamber heats up the fuel in that upper chamber, being the wood chips, to a point that it begins to combust. Now, the key here is not to burn up all the gases that's coming off of that fuel source because you're going to be needing those gases later in, the, in, in this series, this point. These gases are then fed into a manifold system and they rise up through the manifold system, which allows it to cool down a little bit. And as it cools down, heavy particles, carbon and so forth, drops out. And what comes out at the top is a cleaner fuel or gas 
It's smoke, actually, but it has unused fuels in it that can be burned by an engine. Then that gas can be fed into the carburetor of the generator to run it and produce power. Now, this can also be used to power older vehicles that have a carburetor system. The carburetor has a vacuum on it that, that sucks in the fuel. So, and the same thing works with the generator. So, the smoke is sucked in and combustion takes place in the engine, just as with gasoline. And now, granted, you may have to tweak the carburetor a little bit to get it to run decent, but at least it runs. And in our case, at least we have power coming from the generator. So, now back to the old power failure and things, other things that you can do to prepare. The most important is going to be to have food storage and water storage on hand. That is critical, okay? I can't stress this enough. Many preppers are most often the old timers or the backwoods boys like the guys here where I live. They say, well, I'll just go out and go hunting. Okay, that, that's going to work for a while. But there's going to be other people doing the same thing. So they're going to be depleting resources off very fast, just like we talked about in our, in our last podcast. You're going to deplete the resources very, very quick, and you're going to have to constantly be on the move in order to find more food. So folks, don't fool yourself. As we've said before on this podcast, hunting alone or trapping alone or fishing alone will not cut it. You're going to have to do all that and much more. If you rely just on this, you're going to die a horrible, slow death from starvation. Have some food stored up, hidden away, and learn to supplement with edible plants. Learn to supplement with those animals that you can go get out while you're hunting or trapping. And use all this together, and you have a much better chance at survival. Go take some foraging classes. Take some trapping classes. Learn how to catch the wild game, where to look for them, and how to prepare them once you catch them. Learn to grow a garden. Harvest your own food. Use all of this together, and it's going to help you. Okay, if you're in the countryside, invest in some chickens, pigs, goats, or other livestock that you can use. If you have chickens, you have eggs, and you've got chicken to eat. So, best of both worlds. And chickens are pretty easy to raise. Now, if you're not in the countryside, then I strongly advise you to find a place in the countryside that you can bug out to. Maybe a friend or a relative or just a favorite camping spot that you remember. Somewhere away from where other people are not going to go. You don't want to get there to find out. 200 other people has the same idea. So pick a spot that other people are not going to go, except you and your group. And we'll talk about group here in just a moment. Make sure you pick a spot that there's not going to be a ton of people there when you get there. Because staying in the city during such a mass chaotic event would be the worst thing that you could possibly do. However, if there's no choice and you have to stay in the city, then make sure you have that food and that water on hand. Buy up some survival foods, store them away, 
protect them. Don't let other people know you have them. That's one of the big mistakes that preppers make is they go tell everybody, oh, I've got all this survival food. Well, guess who they're going to come hunting for when they run out of food? So zip the old lips. Keep your mouth shut. Don't tell other people what you got. But gather these up and store them. Trust me, you will thank me later for this advice. Now the networking part I mentioned just a moment ago. Network with other preppers. By networking, you can increase your chances at survival. Make your network into something beneficial. Make sure you have people who are nurses, doctors, people who can hunt, people who can fish. You have mechanics. Make sure you have a diverse group with a lot of different skills. Put you some people in there that's ex-military or ex-police. They got security training. Um, you never know. Have you somebody who's an aircraft pilot because you might happen across an airplane that you might be able to skip the country with. <laughs> Make it diverse. This way your network or your group will have a variety of useful skills that you can fall back on. And with a group, it's going to be much easier because people stand behind at the, at the camp can work on things that the camp need while the guys who can hunt are out hunting, the guys who can fish are out fishing, the people who know how to forage for wild plants are out looking for those, have a diverse group. Because if you've got just all hunters and fishermen, who's going to treat your wounds uh, when you get sick, injured, or who's going to fix the generator when it breaks down? Start reaching out to people for your group. Speak to them and convince them that being part of a group like this does not make you part of a bunch of loonies. It means security, stability, and survivability. Speak to them and let them know that those are the three things they're going to get out of this. Security, stability, and survivability. Because if we have a power grid attack, you're going to need every bit of help that you can possibly get. And give them, this, give them a link to this podcast. Let them listen to this podcast. And maybe by the time they get to the end of it, they'll start realizing that this is a very real situation that we could be facing, that these hackers are going to continue doing what they're doing. They have us. They know they can do it now. So... They kind of have us over a barrel, and they know that our power grid is vulnerable. Our distribution system is vulnerable. Our water system is vulnerable. So now they know that they can hurt us. Do you think they're going to stop? I don't think so. So get out there and get to talking to people. Reach out, find people for your group. Like I said, speak to them. Convince them that being part of your group is going to mean security stability, and survivability because lone wolves almost always die off fast. Guys, I'll see you at the next podcast. Thank you for listening in. My name is Roger. I am your doom and gloom host here at uh, Snare Trap Survive Survival Time Podcast. Until next time. The Constitution speaks of speech that's free. Open your mouth from sea to shine and see. The will to read. 